0: Talk Radio. Now the way this pandemic has changed our lives can severely impact our mental health. And as 41 Action
1: News reporter Jordan Betts shows us, medical experts are seeing the detrimental effects. We've seen an increase in not only the suicide hotline numbers, but the attempts have been more serious. Experts say suicide is a growing concern during the pandemic. Data showing the volume of calls on the rise and the types of calls even more alarming. So, kiddos are doing more serious things to attempt to take their lives. University of Kansas Health System Miralac campus that helps kids with mental illness told 41 Action News back in April they were seeing a decline in patients. They believe the virus was making patients and their families not come in. Now, that's not the case.
2: Overall, for summertime, our numbers are probably
3: 50% higher than we typically would see.
1: There's also an increase in calls to the Johnson County Mental Health
3: Hotline. Crisis line, help. Well, we've seen over the last 17, weeks, about a 30% increase in the number of calls, uh, both during the day and at night.
1: The director of the mental health department says they are hearing about people taking their lives on a weekly basis.
3: What we've seen uh, since the pandemic started is um, we're aware of uh, 23 deaths by suicide um, over the last 17 weeks. Uh, And that is, that is unfortunately, um, at a higher rate than than we we saw last year. So
1: places like Joko Mental Health are ramping up their hotline staff to try to help as many people as they can.
3: When the COVID pandemic started, we quickly saw that we were going to need to bolster the staffing there. So uh, we have three staff working um, 24 hours a day to cover the calls.
1: Professionals say fear of the virus should not stop you from getting mental
3: health care. Let's provide ourselves some grace Let's uh, provide some kindness to one another. Jordan Betts, Forty One Action News.
4: And welcome once again to the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us. Wherever you are, you could have been doing anything else, but you decided to check out our live broadcast, and we certainly appreciate you. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and. WCOM 646 929 0130 is the number to get in touch with us. Uh, you can press one to get on the line. The chat room is wide open for you, and you can email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And of course, um, on uh, Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. And certainly at um, Instagram as well, we uh, want to make sure that you're set up uh, to listen. so we want to make sure that our our streaming is going on before we go to our uh, live broadcast. And we will be going there in shortly. Uh, once again, thank you for, for tuning in with us. Um, and I want to bring in my guest, of course. Always good to have her on. She's a uh, psychologist and best-selling author, uh, willing to join us once again. She is Dr. Barbara Levy. And Dr. Barb, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for joining us, as always.
0: Thank you for having me.
4: And, you know, you heard that excerpt, uh, Dr. Barb, uh, as it um, relates to mental illness. There's a lot that's going on, um, not just with the fear, which leads to things of of mental illness, but actually having COVID-19. So... Have you been experiencing any uh, uh, situations with some of your patients or people coming in now that have um, expressed uh, stress or concern as it relates to COVID 19?
0: It has been nonstop since February, March, uh, that almost every client that comes in issues are re- related to COVID. Are part of the presenting problems. I have never seen anything quite like it in in all the years of my practice. Through wars, through 9/11, through other other stressors in 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 the world, um, even even uh, Newtown, which was horrible and had I mean, in Connecticut and there were a lot of people who were impacted. You did not see this kind of outreach to therapists around the country, I, I'm in touch with therapists around the country, both through Doctor on Demand and through a support group that I've organized for therapists, and everyone is having, being inundated with normal, healthy people who are feeling stressed and overwhelmed by what's happening around them. Some of them have had direct experience with COVID-19, others have not. You know where, where family members have become ill or, or passed away. Others have not. They're just dealing with the changes in their lives and in their in their work life and losing jobs and you name it. There, people are stressed and the anxiety and depression levels are increased. It it has some degree. People have become accustomed to what's going on and it's it's gotten a little bit less, but. I think it'll be going on for some time because it varies across the nation. As the numbers go up in various states, the stress and the anxiety increases. Um, And I, again, I I have never seen anything quite like it. Uh, I have. Never in the course of my career felt the need to to say, wait a minute, I can't see more people at this point, and had to turn people away, and I hate doing that. Uh, Usually, I've figured out a way to to fit people in. It's virtually impossible. Um, And the only thing that I've come up with is that I may start a group instead of, you know, especially for people that are waiting to get into individual therapy just so that they can have some support. I Many of the issues are similar for all the clients that are calling. Uh, I feel in some ways that I'm repeating my advice and my thoughts. And therapists are going through the same pressures. It's not, it's not just – it's unlike other times in, in life where people would call and they're dealing with alcoholism, and that's not necessarily something that, that the therapist is – is dealing with in their own lives, but we're all dealing with the changes that the pandemic has brought on. And so it, it, it's across the board. Um, and even though people may not think of mental health providers as founders, we sort of are on the front lines of this, this issue. Whether I'm, I'm helping teachers or doctors or nurses um, or parents struggling with all these changes, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a first responder day in, day
4: out. You know, uh, one of the things, well, let me ask you this, Dr. Barb. Um, When you look at, when you look at people who are stressed, people who come to you and you said you turn some people away, obviously for, 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 for those reasons, is that situation um, you diagnosing them at as uh, ha- having some form of uh, temporary mental defect, or is it? Are you finding that it's been a stage, um, or something gradually uh, growing mentally within with some people?
0: Well, I I think when you talk about traumatic situations like the pandemic. It hits across the board. And there are peop- some people have issues of mental illness and are hit more strongly than others. So if you take sort of the normal curve, some people, the more higher functioning people are impacted by it and may tend better. Someone who has been in an abusive relationship, the pandemic may feel like a repetition of abuse and bring up issues. From their past abuse, so so it, it it varies, and they may have a stronger reaction and be more triggered by it. So it's it, it's not. I, I think there's not a human being in the world who hasn't been impacted by this. So it's not in my mind. It's not necessarily mental illness. It's it's mental mental health coping with an untenable situation with a with a very difficult and, and trying situation where we've been trying to get a handle on how to fight the disease, stay healthy, keep as many people alive as possible. And, and the disease and the knowledge of the scientists changed and increased over time. We're in better shape now than we were in February if we follow the doctor's orders. We know, and there was just a study in, in Kansas, where counties that that mandated mask wearing had lower incidences of of coronavirus from those that didn't about double the, 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 the counties that did not mandate mask wearing had double the incidence. and it's another study in Tennessee in Nashville um, um, they found that the the death rate. Or higher, where where mask rates mask wearing was not allowed was not mandated. So you can cut things in half just by wearing masks, and you have people, you know, feeling like their freedom is being taken away because they're asked to wear a mask. And it's not a matter of freedom; it's a matter of medical necessity. That that if if you needed oxygen and your lungs weren't functioning properly then they would give you an oxygen tank and you'd walk around with an oxygen tank if you wanted to be able to be mobile and to continue living. And right. if, you want stay, if you want to stay free of this virus as much as possible, wearing a mask lowers the risk considerably. And it, it, it protects you and it protects the other people around you more, even more so. So you're doing it for your neighbor, but you're also doing it for yourself. If both people are wearing masks, you're protecting one another and And so the the mismessaging and the misinformation has led to an increase in cases that is is one of the worst in the world. Um, other countries have gotten a handle on on the pandemic and lowered the numbers. they may They may go up again with the change in weather and with you know starting to travel more, starting to do more, but they know how to handle it and and contact traces. Uh, and, and that's, that's all we have for now until we have a vaccine and better treatments. And we do have some better treatments, but not everybody has access to those treatments. So, so we're all living in a, in a crazy world. It's not that, that people are more mentally ill. It's that, that the the world is, is on a crash course for craziness and, normal, healthy people are having to change their lives considerably in order to keep their children and themselves safe and their parents. And so it's leading to some people becoming more mentally ill or or reactive. I would call it some of it reactive to it. Now, if if someone was suicidal or, or felt bad about their lives and had severe depression before this, this will only exacerbate it for them. So so that's why you see increasing rates in suicidality, because the, the, that percentage of the population who suffers from depression is impacted by it more than someone who is less, it was, was not depressed.
4: Just If you're just joining us, we're, we're talking with Dr. Barbara Levy, psychologist and best-selling author. We'll get to her information in just uh, a bit on the Boston News uh, radio show uh you know Dr. Barb, you mentioned something um that really is a concern of so many of folks in your in your profession um and and that is suicide um, mm-hmm. so what do you what do you say to people who are stressed not only because the different factors they're they they're following social distancing and the science. Uh, they're staying uh, distant, they're staying indoors, they're wearing a mask, and that could be stressful. It could be tiresome. Mm -hmm. Or they're Mm -hmm. running into people who don't feel that, family members, neighbors, whatever. Or they have loved ones that have been affected by this, and and they feel like they just can't cope. I mean, this is a a a once-in-a-century type thing that's going on with this virus that we still don't know about. So how do you get them to cope? Through those different factors, knowing that they 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 feel sad and angry and and troubled and all those different factors based on what I just mentioned.
0: I I first acknowledge that of course they're angry and sad and discouraged and frightened because that's normal. They're not crazy to be worried and anxious and scared and depressed by what's going on. That's normal. What I, what I do also is encourage people to focus not on what they can't control, but on the things that they can control. For instance, you don't know when this is going to be over. It, it, they will find solutions. They'll find vaccines. They'll find treatments. It will take time, but we don't know how long it's going to take. Giving people false hopes will make them more depressed when it doesn't happen. Saying, oh, by, by Christmas, everything will be fine, and it's not fine at Christmas, people will be may- way more depressed. It's far better to say we don't know. We're going to do our best to, to get it to get what we need to happen as quickly as possible and to save as many lives as possible, but pay attention to what you can do. And so what we know we can do, listen to the research, read the studies, Wear the masks, do them properly, you know, wash your hands, do social distancing. I don't like the term social distancing. Do physical distancing. And right, find not social. Be, find ways to be socially connected. It means we have to put on our thinking caps and our creativity and come up with creative ways that we can be, feel close to people even if we can't get close to them, which, you know, being creative, but you know, group group Zoom can be a wonderful resource. I I, mean, I I really highly recommend it as long as you make sure that everyone gets a chance to talk, everyone shares what they're feeling, and you try not just to be griping but also saying, okay, well, what things have helped you? What, but, you know, that,
4: today, with, with, you know, with all the respect just to playing advocate here, you mentioned the false information a few times um, and the false information that could be detrimental, even deadly um, mm-hmm. to those who follow it. And we know what you mean and we know where that comes from. It comes from the top. So again, if, if they're getting that um, and they believe, you know, like you said, physical distance wearing a mask and all that, but the man occupying the White House Is not only telling you no you don't need it You know the vaccine is on the way Help is on the way uh, The mass is overrated Some of the scientists said you don't need it And people uh, Practice that Your neighbor Family members Then it, it, it's got to make it even more t- Tougher To say okay I'm going to Wait this thing out when you have other people in your ear, if you will, um, telling you something different. So that's got to be, um, you don't want to debate people, but that's got to be really stressful. That can lead to a lot of different things.
0: Again, it depends on who you're talking about and who you're talking with. And some people are waking up and realizing that, you know, as the disease has progressed and moved across the country, Places that didn't quite get it are realizing how dangerous it is. And as information comes out, there are people that are waking up and realizing that they've been, the wolves been pulled over their eyes. Those who haven't woken up yet, if they're close enough to you and they're still talking to you and and you can, you can send them a copy of the research that shows how masks make a difference. And and those are they're, they're pure numbers. It's not, it's not politics, it's numbers. And you, and, and you look at the graph and you see the counties that, that wore masks in Kansas and the counties that didn't, and, and one has half as much of the disease. And you and you just try to reason with people if you can. Right. Uh, I wouldn't start fighting with them over it, but you can send them an article and say, just read this. You know, I, I, I just want you to read it. And, and to take this seriously. Um, I'm hoping that, that we, you know, listen to Fauci. You know, he, he's, he's the top scientist, the top doctor in the world on infectious diseases. And he's telling us we've got to follow these simple procedures and, and do them correctly. And he's, he's, white, he's walking a tightrope. Because, because the, he's trying to stay within the system, but give the information that everybody needs to hear. Um, other people are speaking up more. and it's you know, hope, I don't know what's going to happen. even if the election goes in, in Biden's direction, we've got a few months that we have to take, you know we, we've got to take responsibility if the government's not going to, to follow suit. States and cities and counties are going to have to do it. When the, when hospitals fill up, they're waking up in Iowa, in Kansas, in Idaho. They're recognizing that they made mistakes, and they're beginning sure. to demand You know, so so it's, the reality is clear, and we need to help people see the reality. And it's hard. It's a tough reality. It's not. Nobody wants to hear it. We'd all love to believe that tomorrow. It, We'd have a vaccine and it would all go away. But even if they have a vaccine, it may not be a hundred percent, you know, effective. It may not happen as quickly as people assume. They may start it and people may die from it. There's no there's no guarantee with the new vaccine that it's going to, and distributing it will, it will take time. across an entire nation is going to take quite a while, even if the army does it which is what he's saying. Oh, the army is ready. And then the army's like, doesn't even know what the plan is. So, so right. we all have to prepare ourselves for the fact that it's going to take time and stay as safe as we possibly can and help our neighbors. And if you see people that are doing, that, that are not doing it, don't interact with them, stay away from them. You know, move, move to the other side of the street if you have to, but but don't don't interact in places where it doesn't feel safe. And you know, doc, I I do. I
4: had a I had a question last week uh, about, you know, a, a a person said, "Well, my family, I have a family member that believes uh the man occupying the white house and i can't understand especially as i'm an african-american and she said well what should i do i said pray for him my point is that you can't save everybody so with that wow. being said doc if you come across people whether it's in practice or out that believe this is a hoax and believe these different things how do you walk especially professionally a fine line of it not coming across to them as political whose side are you on if you're a democrat you believe it. you're republican you don't believe it blah 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 how do you walk that line um and and stay true to yourself when you have someone that doesn't believe it? because again it's not just the physical like you said if 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 you either got covid19 or not it's the mental so how do you walk that line as a doctor
0: as a doctor i go with the science with the articles that that show what what are the right things to do in a pandemic and and that's not that has nothing to do with politics they do research mm. they've researched it for years they they've researched other con- infectious diseases even in the pandemic in the, in in the spanish flu plague they wore masks they they learned that the hard way a hundred years ago, and and there was controversy then. But but since then we've learned, and we've got to listen to the doctors. The fringe, you know, some radiologist who who thinks we should have herd immunity. Herd immunity would be a, a disaster for us. Sure. It, 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 there, you, we cannot go that route. And and no doctor, no. No doctor who believes in the oath of do no harm believes that. And they, everyone, all of the doctors, all of the experts say washing hands, isolating, distancing, and wearing masks is what we can do. And what it does is it buys us time to, to find better treatments and to find a vaccine and right. and so we it, it will the other thing that I say to people is that it's a terrible situation. But somehow the world survived the flu. In the Spanish flu, they they didn't have cooperation among countries. They didn't have the internet to to let people know. I mean, it, it's a travesty that that misinformation is being given out. And and we need to be informing the public in the way that Cuomo did every day as he brought the numbers down in New York. And they're they're the best example of how to manage this. And we hmm. have to listen. To the, and he listened to the doctors. And he told it like it was. He didn't say, this is great. He said, our numbers are terrible right now. People are dying. It's I mean, it you know. But then the numbers went down, and they kept going down. And he, and he said, it's still not good that we have 100 people dying or we have 10 people dying a day. We've got to get it down so that so that people aren't dying from this, and and they brought it down, and and even if the I, I think college kids coming back to the Northeast has brought the numbers back up again, and they're going to have to pull it down again, mm. and and they may not have and to that, shut down everything. They'll shut down in smaller, you know, where it where it occurs, and and trace it, and and then block it. Right, and that's what have to it, do
4: yeah and i and i you know being from connecticut you and connecticut of course uh it's really difficult with the holiday it maybe you know i won't get to travel home to to, to see my family so it's been really mm-hmm. affecting let me ask you this uh obviously um the supreme court new justice Mm. Um, has been uh, put in place in, in Amy Cone, Coney uh, uh, Barrett uh, by this man I, occupying the White House um, and by accounts um, I always look at policies and records by the policies and rec- or the records of her on a bench and dissents and things that she's put in the past and lower courts and even as uh, an attorney um, and we're going to talk with our next guest in, in detail about this but um, is is very concerning to people, not necessarily Doc as far as um, you know, the mainstream, if you will, of the legalities, but stuff like health care and women's rights and things. So how concerned are you as a clinical doctor to if, if, if health care for millions upon millions upon mil- millions of Americans is, is taken away, that that's going to overload you once again. COVID-19 dies down, it flattens and stuff, and then health care is taken away based on, let's say, a 6-3 um, uh, court that believes that the Affordable Health Care uh, Act, uh, a.k.a. Obamacare, is unconstitutional. How how concerned are you From that standpoint, that millions of people don't have health care are going to be very depressed and suicide rates go up and everything else under the sun.
0: And even if they have health care, if pre-existing conditions, if the rules that allow people to get insurance and be covered for their pre-existing insurance, even if they can afford insurance, if the insurance companies don't have to cover pre-existing conditions, I lived through that when clients had depression on their records and couldn't get insurance or would have to wait six months or a year before they could possibly get insur- get it, be covered for therapy. So that it definitely worries me. I, again, I'm hoping for more positive change and that there will be the situation in the, in the high courts will be rectified and that, that, the new administration will do what it has to do to get a more balanced court. The, it, it's not okay to have a, a court filled with people who are radical on either end to the degree that we have right now, because then, then the reputation of the court becomes, you know, invalid for, for most people. They're not going to trust the court's rulings. And, and so it, it worries me and it worries me that people will not be covered uh, people who are dealing with cancer or other serious illnesses often need therapy to help them to get through the tough times. And, and so it is, it is devastating. And I, I again, I think we all have got to work hard to believe that somehow we'll get through this. It will pass and we will find ways. And if anything, History has shown that after devastating historical events, often that's when change happens, positive things come. And I think that people have been overwhelmed by a lot of the things that have been happening and that we're ready for positive change. I think that, the, that, that Lyndon Johnson couldn't have done what he did uh, if there hadn't have been the 60s and the Vietnam War and the protests and the the, the civil rights actions wouldn't have happened if if there hadn't have been the upheaval that happened back then. I watched a movie. One of my sister-in-law's friends uh, made a movie. It's called The War, The War at Home, and it looks at, at the the protests against the war in Madison, Wisconsin. It, it, and I had I was in Israel during that time, and so a lot of it. I knew about but didn't know all of, and a lot of the fights and a lot of the, the protests were similar to what's happening now. And it's, it's a great documentary, and they re- remade it recently. And and my, my older brother went went to, was at the University of Wisconsin, and I didn't know a lot of the things that I learned. And and I think that some of the kinds of upheavals that happened in the civil rights movement, the Martin Luther King's death, it brought about change. And where we dropped the ball, when when Obama was, came into office, I thought, my God, how far we've come. I'm so glad. And then he was fought by tooth and nail by the other side. And luckily, they got the Obamacare through. I, well, no, I, I, but, I, but I just... Yeah, and
4: to your point, I, I'm just to tell you how far we haven't come, Doctor Doctor Barb. I'm getting I'm getting uh, emails in my chat that are racially attacks, and, and so yeah. I mean, it, it, because you you don't agree with the the, the 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 narcissist in the White House, I get these type of attacks. It's okay. It's all all as well. Um, well,
0: again, I I do believe. That they're the minority, and I think that the lines lining up to vote for hours and hours in Georgia, in Texas, in in Alabama, in in North Carolina, across the country, in Ohio, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, people are lining up and waiting hours and hours to vote, and most of them mm. are Democrats. And I believe that that, that the country doesn't agree with. What's been going on? The, what yeah. I worry about is whether or not there's going to be monkey business to try to, to, and they're already trying to get rid of votes and the stuff with the with the postal system. But but there are people on top of it and fighting it, and and hopefully it will it will lead to changes that will be real. And we all cannot drop the ball after the right. election, even though we're tired. We're all exhausted by what's going on. We can't drop the ball and just assume. Well, here we've come so far. Now we don't have to. We don't have to keep fighting. We have to. We have to keep an eye on the kinds of things that have gone on and make sure they don't happen again. And, Absolutely. And legislate them. Make them. Make them law and make the law have teeth. That's that's Absolutely. all we can do. And so, I, again, it's. It's not. That's not me as a psychologist. That, but I again as a psychologist, I worry about the mental health of children through all of this. The mental health of, you know, what it means to to have to be socially distanced and fearful of others, both because sure. of the racism and because of the disease, and how we're going to help enhance our children's social skills. Children, children aren't born racist. Children, children are taught racist behaviors, and we have to Absolutely. we have to start we have to start at home with our own kids and and build a society where where equity exists. And and Amen we're and all going to have to fight for it. We're all going to have to fight for it. And I believe, Absolutely. you know, after after the, the demonstrations after George Floyd was murdered were in little tiny towns that were all white. They were all across the country. There were lots of people who were shocked and upset. Now, black people may not have been shocked because they've been seeing it and, and, and suffering it and, and trying, to, trying to get people to see, but they didn't yes. have body cams. And the body Absolutely. cams are bringing it to the fore. And it's horrible. It's horrible that, we have to, that it has to be through that. But it's also get it. it's going to bring change because absolutely there are good people out there. I I believe like Anne Frank that most people are good, and and we have to those all of the good people in this world have to get together and make the good things happen and stop the violence and stop the prejudice. That's what we yes, have ma'am. to do.
4: Yes, yes, Doc. And Doc, we're out of time and you I mean you have spoken it, you, you said you said it to what a lot of people are thinking, a lot of people are hoping, a lot of people are praying, a lot of people out there that feel the same way. And uh we just thank you for what you're doing, uh uh professionally and even personally in this understanding. Thank you so much, Doc. We really appreciate okay. you. Everybody votes. thank you.
0: <laughs> everybody take, take
4: care Take care,
0: Doc. Okay. Thank All
4: you everybody. Right, yes, ma'am, Doctor Barbara Levy. Always good to have her on. She is a psychologist and best-selling author. We'll get her information out there uh, soon. Take a break. Come back with our next guest on the Bassin News Radio Show, the Bassin News Radio Network, WCOM, and Carbill, North Carolina.
5: Solemnly swear
6: that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States.
5: That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The
7: oath
0: that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor,
4: and that I will do so independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. This is a momentous day for America, for the United States Constitution, and for the fair and impartial rule of law. It is highly fitting that Justice Barrett fills the seat of a true pioneer for women. It's Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Carborough and uh, Chapel Hill. It's L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us. We just played an excerpt of uh, uh, now uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett being sworn in by uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and the man occupying the White House um, Basically, doing a uh, sort of a, a a victory lap as he puts in his his pick. I want to bring in uh, someone who's familiar with this, not just uh, on the bench, but before the bench. Uh, he is a, a judge at the North Carolina Court of Appeals. He is Christopher Brook and. And and your honor, it's a pleasure always to have you on, and uh, uh, always to, good to get your insight on these these issues.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me on again this evening. Before
4: we get to your reelection, I, which I, full disclosure, I, I definitely um, endorse. Full disclosure, um, you heard, you know, Justice Thomas swearing in now, uh, Justice Barrett. Um, and <laughs> the guy occupying the White House says uh, not only this is uh, good for the Constitution and and fair and balanced, I'm um, um, uh, paraphrasing some of the things he says in terms of the rule of law. And he goes on to compare her to the notorious justice that we love, right? That just passed away. What do you, I mean, just as impartial as you can be, what do you know about Judge Barrett and how can he compare her to, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg?
2: Well, you know, um, so there's a very small collection of women that have served on the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, it's it's uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, it's Justice Ginsburg. Uh, it's Justice Sotomayor, it's Justice Kagan, and now it's justice uh, Coney Barrett. so no one should uh, discount the fact that it in a sense is historic It's Justice Coney Barrett is only the fifth woman ever to serve on uh, the Supreme Court and only the second woman ever nominated by a Republican president uh, to serve on the Supreme Court so it you know it is in that sense a momentous occasion um you know i i I think uh I'm just speaking factually uh, when I say that I don't know that there's tons that connects um, the jurisprudence of Justice Ginsburg and Justice Coney Barrett. Um, uh, Obviously, when Justice Ginsburg passed away, a lot of conversation about her long friendship with Justice Scalia um, and how they were great friends despite being very very uh, different justices on uh, uh, different sides of a lot of issues you know one of Justice Ginsburg's most famous opinions was that de- the opinion that VMI the Virginia Military Institute needed to admit women um, which is obviously was momentous for her because it was in a lot of ways um, uh, capitalizing on all of the work that she had done as a litigator in front of the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia wrote the dissent, if memory serves, in uh, the VMI uh, litigation. Uh, Justice Coney Barrett, uh, clerked for Justice Scalia, um, is very much of Justice Scalia's sort of um, textualist, originalist mold. Um, so, you know, uh, Obviously, it's important that we have better gender diversity on the Supreme Court. Um, but I think that they're they're going to be very likely to be very very different justices on all manner of issues, but in you know, but also including uh, issues that um, particularly impact uh, women.
4: And then, and I think too, um, Your Honor, just to be clear, for me, um, I, I I get it historically five women, only uh, two uh, nominated by Republican uh, presidents. Uh, And and so I I understand that, but a, you know, in terms of their um, time on the bench, or even as an attorney, uh, they're, like you said, they're way on the other uh, spectrum of the world. And B, I I just, I, I, I kind of have an issue with this notion that because um, you know the the late um, Justice Ginsburg and the late justice Scalia you know um were friends, if you will, and maybe even yeah. broke bread together that doesn't mean that they they were vehemently, they weren't vehemently opposed to each other and i don't know if the friendship has anything to do with the legalities and how you have to decide on the supreme court i think it's overrated in my opinion
2: well and you know i think um you know where the rubber meets the road on these issues is you know how you view um the united states constitution how you approach um statutory interpretation uh and you know Justice Coney Barrett, I think, has much more in common with Justice Scalia than with Justice Ginsburg. And, you know, um, people are more than and should be assessed. You know, uh, the true equality uh, means assessing people not just based on their race or not just based on their gender, but based on uh, their experience uh, and based on the um, sort of quality of their reasoning. And, you know, just at, you know, Clarence Thomas, who was the youngest ever um, person appointed to the Supreme Court, uh, replaced uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall. No one would argue that Justice Thurgood Marshall and Justice Thomas were the same simply because they are the only two black men ever to serve on the Supreme Court. Justice Coney Barrett, at the age of 48, is the second youngest, if memory serves, um, person, at least in modern times, to serve on the Supreme Court. And, you know, obviously no one, and it would be a disservice, candidly, to both women to act as though she and Justice Ginsburg are interchangeable or somehow cut from the same cloth solely on account of their gender.
4: Talking with, uh, of course, uh, Christopher Brooke, judge at the North Carolina Court of Appeals here in North Carolina on the Bassett News Radio Show on the Bassett News Radio Network, WCOM, and Chapel Hill and Carborough. Uh, Your Honor, when you you look at, um, obviously you you have to stay um, um, very neutral, um, but all the reports are, you know, now the court, based on, um, even though they're supposed to look at it down the middle and not have any kind of lean it's leaning conservative. Now it's six six to three. They're saying the reports are what people say and the pundits say. Um, So how does one that feels like even moderate to left-leaning in terms of justice feel like justice completely can be impartial at the highest level? Again... You're supposed to follow the law and, and, and determine it based on that and you have those dissents. But if it's if if the the feeling and the understand based on records, based on policies and how they ruled in different cases and things is six three, that one would feel that especially with uh, the Affordable Health Care Act Um, With uh, pre-existing conditions and other challenges, civil rights, voters' rights, all of those things that tend to lean left in terms of policy and politics, how do people feel like they'll be able to get a fair shake
2: if it goes up to the highest court of the land? Well, you know, I think that there are real concerns about that. I think that there are real concerns about, um, you know, what has been the politicalization of uh, the Supreme Court. Um, you know, President Trump has spoken on occasions about uh, appointing people as though they're emissaries of his uh, on the court as opposed to independent actors. And I don't think that's in. Anybody's interest because I think that it undermines or at least calls into question confidence in our judicial system. You know, he, he's in particular speaking about Roe, has talked about appointing people who will automatically overturn Roe. And, you know, um, you're supposed to be appointing people who will have an open mind about the issues that come in front of them. And, and Justice Barrett said that she will have an open mind in front of uh, when those issues come in uh, front of her. But uh, President Trump has you know, made that more complicated with his public statements. Um, And, and, you know, beyond the sort of conservative liberal um, uh, uh, discussion, there's also sort of a temperamental discussion, uh, which I think now is very pertinent as well, which is how do you approach precedent, you know? Um, uh, Are you someone who is willing to Uphold precedent that has been in place for a long period of time, even if you might not have joined that opinion uh, when it was originally written. Um, A really good example of that is Justice Rehnquist. Chief Justice Rehnquist, you know, wrote an opinion sort of uh, reaffirming Miranda and your right to a Miranda recitation when you're arrested by a police officer. Um, even though if memory serves, either he was in the dissent or, you know, had perhaps signaled some disagreement with that early in his career because it had become, you know, precedent that people relied on. And so, you know, when it comes to things like the Affordable Care Act, when it comes to things like uh, Roe, I think there are real questions about how the six justices who are more conservative now on the Supreme Court are going to view precedent. And, you know, um, uh, I think that Justice Barrett's, Barrett's writings suggest that she feels, you know, less encumbered by precedent uh, than perhaps other members of that uh, six conservative justice uh, majority. So we're going to, in short order, with you know cases implicating the ACA um, before the court, and you know, likely with cases implicating um, uh, access to abortion before the court in short order, we will get a better view I would uh, expect relatively quickly about how she's going to, to approach a uh, precedent that has been in place for quite some time.
4: You know, your honor, I, I, I want to ask you how you feel if, uh, I mean, on the outside looking in, so to speak, you have your own um, duties that you have to take care of uh, in your court, but, how do you feel about the process that went on and and should in general, whether it be Democrats running the Senate or Republicans, obviously they're the ones that um put you know put the um nominees in front of them to decide if they're going to uh say yay or nay, but how do you feel about the process and should the process be different because there's a lot of concern? Then concern on on both sides, really. There's a lot of concern that they push this through for political reasons. So how do you feel about the process of how the Senate does it once the president sends a nominee to their chamber?
2: Well, you know, I I think uh, the process leaves something to be desired. And um, as you suggest, this is not a new phenomenon. Um, A lot of these confirmation hearings have not become have become. You know, relatively unilluminating. Um, we, you don't get to learn very much about how the justice would you know, approach their day to day job. And obviously, um, people who've been nominated to the Supreme Court, people who've been nominated to the federal judiciary, you know, need to avoid commenting on cases about how they would decide cases that would come in front of them. But, you know, um, the, the, the processes now have become relatively empty theater. And I don't know that that is super constructive um, uh, for the, the Senate's advice and consent uh, role. Um, I also um, think that it would – again, to me, the bottom line is you want people uh, across the board, um, from the most liberal to the most conservative, from the most engaged to someone who's only episodically engaged, to have confidence in government and have confidence in the federal and state judiciary and um you know confidence doesn't mean uh, that people expect or think they're going to win on each occasion but i think confidence means something like predictability and something like well i can you know i understand what the rules of the road are and i think that that um uh desire and it would behoove us to have rules of the road both when you know when we as judges are on the bench but i think it would also behoove those who are involved in the federal process you know confirming folks to um have rules of the road that apply across the board regardless of the party uh that the president belongs to who's making the appointment
4: you know two quick questions um uh, before you go, the first is the, the abuse of power, and we've heard that term a lot, certainly coming out of this particular White House. But the abuse of power, uh, at least the perception of abuse of power, in tone and demeanor with with judges at at every level. And 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 Your Honor, the fact is that I can't come into your courtroom. And and have a certain demeanor that this is the this is for me is the reality. Um, I can't say certain things and act certain kinds of ways, but I've seen at different levels that some uh, judges have this I'm God mentality, whether they say it in a way that makes you feel like that or in their demeanor or their tone um, browbeating. You know, um, don't do it again, and here's this, you're wrong, you're a horrible person, that kind of thing. What do you say to people who feel like that and and judges abusing those situations? And then when you you look at this um, narrative out there from the other side that says, you know, that makes you feel like your vote doesn't count and that they want to suppress the vote. And that, you know, um, your mail in vote, oh, it's a fraud, and everything. We know what's coming from the top. But what do you say to those to understand the truth understanding? You've been in this for a long time the power and the importance
2: of getting out to vote. Yeah. I I mean, there's nothing works in our system of government, in our republic, in our democracy without um, uh, access to the franchise, you know, that is, uh, everything sort of stems from that, public confidence, accountability, um, having policies enacted that reflect the will of the majority. Um, You know, it's really the fundamental touchstone. Um, And, you know, uh, it's also, and to connect back to your other question as well, it's also about respect, right? Because, you know, uh, part of our system of government is respecting differing views. And when your view is in the minority, uh, then generally you don't get your view adopted. Um, And there's a sort of humility that goes along with that respect. And, you know, uh, LA, I've uh, been in front of judges when I was a practicing attorney where I um, felt The judge uh, had already decided things and wasn't listening to me and had no interest in what I was saying. Um, And I've been in courtrooms where I've seen judges um, um, be, you know, dressed down folks um, in their courtrooms, uh, oftentimes criminal defendants, oftentimes people of color. And, you know, I think that one of the things that I try very hard to bring to my work at the Court of Appeals is a sense of humility, um, that everybody's going to make mistakes. No one deserves to be judged um, by the worst decision, based on the worst decision that they make, and that everybody's entitled to a certain level of respect when they appear in the court. And I also, to return to the point of confidence, I think that that sort of respect, Engenders confidence in the people who appear uh, in in front of you. One of the, the folks that I'm fortunate enough to uh, run with, Judge Laura Cubbage, who's a Superior Court judge in Guilford County, you know, talks about, you know, demonstrating that You know, even more important to people than winning their case is the respect that comes along with feeling like they've been heard. So I think that that is our. That, that's what I view as one of my principal responsibilities at the court of appeals.
4: Mm. You know, it's 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 just amazing that i um, getting these uh, these racial comments. It's it's very um not surprising uh from from some people that you have to delete them that uh, you you're this liberal blood judge and I'm this liberal blood don't care about anything else, uh, um, uh, talk show holes, but I digress. So, um, I know the election is coming up th- at the time of this broadcast, uh, on, on Tuesday. Um, what would you want? I know you're running for reelection. What do you want people to know about your campaign and, and what type of judge
2: you are
4: and will continue yeah. to be, um, on the bench?
2: Well, so I'm – there are five – there are 15 seats on the Court of Appeals, uh, which is um, our intermediate appellate court, so before the Supreme Court but uh, after trial court. um, But 90 percent of cases that are appealed in our court system end at my court, uh, the Court of Appeals. Five of those 15 seats on our court are on the ballot. I'm running to keep one of those seats that I was appointed to by Governor Cooper a year and a half ago, seat 13. And you know, I think – What I'd like people to know first and foremost about me is that, you know, I'm the most experienced candidate uh, for this role. I've worked with North Carolinians before I was on the bench from every walk of life. I've worked in subject matter areas that neatly correspond to the work that comes before us. I've litigated across um, our state and federal court system. I'm, you know, the only candidate for C-13 that has done that and has served as a judge on the Court of Appeals for a year and a half. And in that year and a half, I've written 88 opinions. And that's you know a little bit more than an opinion a week. Uh, so they keep us busy. But if you look at those opinions, I think what you see is that experience that I accrued while I was in private practice as an appellate litigator. Um, but you also see somebody who takes this job exceptionally seriously, is uh, judicially independent, um, goes where the facts and law lead, not to some sort of foreordained Conclusion, but also somebody who treats every North Carolinian who appears in front of them with respect. Um, this is about, um, uh, you know, it, I don't want to make decisions because you're a member of one group, you win or you lose. You're a member of another group, you win or you lose. I want everybody to be fairly heard and uh, have their case decided without fear or favor based on the merits of their case.
4: Judge, before you go, too, uh, I have to ask. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Um, and people who know your background or they look you up and look at your background um, or working with the, the ACLU, how do you dispel? Because, you know, you see the ads. You see all the stuff. Sure. This guy or this lady is this for this or that. How do you dispel what you said? I, I know you said it in terms of being impartial and, and just uh, uh, giving everybody a fair shake. How do you uh, get past those conservatives that might feel like you might lean left in some of your des- decisions, um, even in your opinions?
2: Well, you know, everybody's going to have their opinions. Everybody's going to be entitled to their opinions, and that's fine. I would just encourage those folks to uh, look at my 88 opinions. I'm proud of the work that I did as legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union of North Carolina. I'm proud of uh, the, uh, the cases that I brought and the clients that I got to work with and the, the, the legal causes that I advocated for. I also know that being a judge is very different. I'm not advocating for a result. I'm just trying to fairly and impartially apply the law to the facts at hand. And that doesn't mean sort of arriving at my preferred policy conclusion. It means you know applying the facts in the law fairly and I've written opinions where I don't agree with the policy outcome where I think you know a sentence and I've said this in an opinion that a sentence that was imposed by a trial court was legally permissible even though I thought it was outrageous and you know I feel very comfortable saying that as a judge because I think we should be candid when we think something Is 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 disproportionate, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily illegal. Um, And so, I think that I've shown through the year and a half of work that I have done that I'm independent, that I understand uh, the limits of my job, but also, you know, the constitutional and appellate expertise I accrued as an attorney I think really does benefit the North Carolina Court of Appeals and uh, result in better opinions, better decisions. And that in turn benefits the people of North Carolina. Well, judge, before you go, please. um, I know you said it's um,
4: uh, 13. Give the information out where people can kind of look you up, get the information and, and, and make that decision on Tuesday. Sure.
2: Well, first, Thanks for the opportunity to be with you this evening. Everybody, you can early vote. This is – it's Thursday evening now. You can early vote in North Carolina on Friday and Saturday, and then you can vote uh, in uh, person Uh, on Tuesday. You can still register to vote during early vote on Friday and Saturday. So if you're not registered to vote and you want to vote, you still can. Um, But to learn a little bit more about me before you go to uh, to your polling place, you can go to my website, which is keep. JudgeChrisBrook.com. Keep JudgeChrisBrook.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Judge Chris Brooke, or you can follow me on Twitter where I'm also Judge Chris um, And also, you know, you like what you see? Tell your friends about it. People are really interested in these judicial races. They want to know more. Um, you know, help us spread the word. It's important to get folks informed on races up and down the ballot.
4: And I, I got to say, politics is local. One of the things that uh, people don't realize is voting for judges and looking at um, their their records and, and, and all of that. So, you know, just as a general sense, I think it's really, really important for people because these are decisions, even at appellate, these are the decisions that can be impactful in people's lives and their families. Uh, your Honor, thank you for your time. Uh, best of luck on Tuesday. And uh, we will get you on, um, hopefully after that, where you're talking, you know, uh, some more um, law with us as you sit on the bench. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me. Have a good evening.
4: You too. Christopher Brooke is a judge at the North Carolina Court of Appeals running for re-election. You can go uh, to his website, and uh, get that information again, if you're for or against either way, you have to get out and vote it's to Vote it's not just at the top of the ticket, you gotta look down in the state of North Carolina, wherever you are, uh, make sure that you vote, make sure you do your research before you vote, but once you do it, make sure you vote so many people have fought for it, so many, so many people died for you to have that opportunity Take a break. It is the Bassin News Radio Show. We'll get to our next guest on the Bassin News Radio Show on the Bassin News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the word of God, and be
6: blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
2: Don't forget
4: to check us out at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. T H E The Bachelor with a T. airtime.pro, not pro. Thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Um, you can catch the show. You can catch, Whoa, you can catch the show uh, every day at eight a.m. and three p.m. Eastern time uh, at that website. Want to go? To the phones, he is from SportsAwakening.com. The three-point conversion and the Nashville Voice—always good articles, always good insight. It's a little loud. Um, he is Mike Patton. <laughs> Mike, we could barely hear you there. Um, sorry
8: about the, the noise.
4: Can you hear me now? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about um, the
8: noise, man. Doing Halloween shopping a little bit.
4: <laughs> okay, I got you, I got you. We won't keep you long. Um, we we talked about, last week we talked about this, uh, briefly, Tennessee-Pittsburgh. I think the game kind of went the way we went that we thought it would go. Uh, but what did you learn from each team after that game? Well, we
8: learned that uh, Big Ben still likes to be the hero. Definitely learned that because he, he, he almost helped them come back, the uh, Titans. Because a couple yeah. of those decisions, especially on the uh, the uh, passes, were pretty bad decisions. Especially the last one, where he tried to spin it in between two people, and he was he was very he was covered. He wasn't even open. Uh, as far as the uh, Titans learned that uh, even despite um, despite Derek Henry not running the football well, they still have an opportunity to win because Ryan Tannehill can make it happen.
4: Yeah. Well, you know the 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 thing with with I think what well, I learned with with uh, Tennessee is that uh you know with with the big fella Garrett Henry it seems as though it seems as though once he if you can catch him in that front seven um. Once he gets to the second level If he gets to the second level He's dangerous with the speed and the power And the stiff arms But if you can contain him early um, You have a shot The second thing is uh, You have to put lots of pressure Once you, if you do stop um, The train And Derrick Henry Put some pressure on Ryan Tannehill Which is easier Because if, if Henry's not getting off and getting his yards, then there's less play action. And as you saw, you know, Tennessee down um, in that going into that halftime, and the, the, the league could have been uh, bigger, as you said, if, if uh, Roethlisberger didn't throw those picks. Um, they have to play catch up. They can do it, but you somewhat eliminate Derrick Henry in the process.
8: Yeah, one thing I would say though is I don't know necessarily if you want to bring a lot of pressure to the Titans because the Titans have shown um, if you blitz a little bit that they can make, they can hurt you with uh, the guy, the likes of John M. Smith and AJ Brown a. J. and those Brown. guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't I don't know necessarily if blitzing is the answer, but you do have to get pressure on Penny that That's for sure.
4: Let me ask you about uh, this Tampa Bay Buck team. Look, I I was surprised. We were talking with um, some folks last week about Antonio Brown. I'm not surprised he went to Tampa because I don't think it was a secret at all that, you know, Brady wanted him in camp. You know, with uh, Godwin and 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 you know um, the receivers having injury problems, Gronk just kind of getting getting going. They bring a guy in. Uh, it's just the last uh, go-around for Antonio Brown if he screws up. He still has the legal stuff. We don't know. Um, and where does this put Tampa for you um, in terms of where, their chances to to make the, the Super Bowl?
8: I'll say this. This kind of puts them in a great position because you have all the pieces that are playing better except for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And if those guys come along, then, Wow. Because Chris Godwin's actually out again; he's injured this week, so Antonio Brown's going to get action this week. So, um, you know, as, as you can get the other pieces going, you, I don't expect Godwin and Mike Evans to not get going. So, you know, it bodes well for that team. Also, you got to think Cameron Bright had really hasn't done anything either, and he was he was one of uh, Jameis Winston's, Winston's Winston's I'm sorry uh, mm-hmm. biggest targets. So I, right. I would say it bodes well, and plus their defense is is playing amazing. They've got the best duo in all of football at linebacker, and, uh White and, uh, I, and White and uh, God, I can't remember the name. White and God, I can't remember the other guy's name for his life for me right now, but they've got the best duo of yeah. linebackers in the NFL.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as a Steelers fan, I I like Bud Dupree and uh, T.J. Watt, but I I digress. I I I, I to your point. Uh, they're very talented on defense. Uh, I, I just, I'm still, I'm not saying that, you know, Brady, can't, Brady can't do it, but he really hadn't been smacked in the mouth. Uh, the, the, the bears did it and you saw what happened. They did it early and we saw what happened. And so we'll see. Uh, I'm not, you know, I think, you know, if the saints can get healthy. Um, they have a shot. Um, certainly if Seattle bringing in now, um, Dunlap and, and, and yeah, you know, help some on defense. So uh, we'll see uh, what happens with that. Let's go around the horn real quick. We'll talk with Mike Patton, of course, here on the Boston News Radio Show on on WCOM and the Boston News Radio Network. Mike, when you look at New England and their issues, and, you know, you and I had talked about this before. If Cam has this moment where he's struggling and he's throwing picks and they're not winning games, it's going to fall all on his shoulders. Do you think he gets it done and turns it around and starts throwing the ball like he's capable of doing? And the other part of it is I think the defense doesn't get enough blame because when you look at the games, I know they they talk about Cam being rusty and the COVID and everything else. They don't have a lot of practice. Well, you need – if the other side of the ball had not been that great either. And I know they lost some players, but that secondary is, you know, damn near Hall of Fame with those four guys. So, you know, the defense hasn't really helped them out as much as well.
8: Well, I'll say this. Yeah, they're missing Patrick Chong, which is their signal caller back there. So that's that's right. a huge guy. But uh, as far as the other players, yes, they're missing them. They're missing Dante Hightower, which is huge for them. Um, honestly, their defense, they're, they're, um, they're playing one hand top behind their back. So – but they do deserve, you know, some of the blame for what's happened. I, I can't deny that. Um, also, what I would look at with this team is that, um, you know, you, you didn't necessarily get any weapons for him because I can't name his tight end. You can't name right. any weapons outside of Edelman. Who's on that team? Nobody knows. So – and since Sonny Michelle is out too, so that takes another weapon away. Uh, so with that team, I honestly – uh I'm looking at them, and I'm like, okay, you know, Cam's going to have to be special for them to win. He's going to have to be. And the thing is, I think it starts this weekend. No.
4: Well, the, bill, and the Bills have lost some players, you know, due to, you know, uh, resigning other places. So their defense hasn't been really that good. And uh, if, if they allow Cam, if he could, you know, get the rust off, I'm saying, and allow him to, to do what he needs to do, especially like you said, uh, Edelman's out for you know this coming game and maybe a few other weeks, so that's going to be an issue. But they got to allow him to be able to do it. They, I, I think they may have a shot um, uh, uh, against yeah, yeah. Buffalo. You know, one of the, the most intriguing teams is a team we talk about all the time. And Mike, you think you? I think you touched on it last week, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, people can't figure them out now because. <laughs> They're winning in so many different ways. They they ran for a bunch of yards against the Bills. Then they played defense. They're used to the elements, of course, out there, but played defense so well and special teams against a Bronco team. Now, people will talk about the opponents and everything else, but if you look at Pat Mahomes' big games where he's just doing Madden-type numbers, a lot of those he lost, when he's throwing for 200 yards and 230 and he's 20 of 24 and the, the, the offense is running the ball and, and they're doing these things on defense, rushing the passer, they get, they're getting turnovers, they win. So can he be patient enough? And is this a formula for them to change gears, throw people off? They're going to see the film, but throw people off and win this way to the Super Bowl.
8: Uh, honestly, it, I mean, it makes them a little bit more dangerous team, and then also you got to add in Le'Veon Bell's playing against his former team next week, so he's going right. to look pretty good next week. So, I think this is uh, creating a different formula and a different dynamic for Andy Reid because Andy Reid's never ran the football this much with any team he's had. So, right. you know, it, it's creating a different dynamic. But you know, the one thing I always think about with the Chiefs is the Chiefs you have to play keep away with them. Um, you have to play keep away with them, control time possession, be able to run the football against them. If you're able to do those things, along with uh, you know, have some explosive plays, that's the best chance to beat them. Quite honestly.
4: And then, but it's so weird though. If they're playing control right. ball, then how do you? Then <laughs> if they play control ball, you just keep ball <laughs> to field because they're doing dinking and dunking and running the ball, and being conservative sort of in the red zone. It's a totally different look for them.
8: Well, the thing is with them is it's a totally different look, but you still have to stop the football. Stop running the uh, – um, you still have to stop them running the football. Uh, that's the thing. Um, if you force them or stop one or the other, then you can you can at least make them at least somewhat beatable. I'm not saying they're going to be all the way beatable because you still have Patrick Mahomes back there. But if you have to commit more guys to stopping the run, then – you know you're in trouble, and that's why I think a team like Tampa Bay would be uh, give them problems, because they don't need the blitz to get there with Shaq Barrett. Plus, you have two linebackers that run sideline to sideline and can stop, can do pretty much defeat any blocks that are going on up front because they're that fast. So, I would say that that you know there's a few teams out there that can beat them, but you know they're they're not necessarily the easy easiest beat team as you know as everything has shown so far this year and last year too.
4: Yeah. want to give a big shout out to Virgil Green, co-host of uh, You and the Law that airs on the network on Tuesday's blog talk from uh, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, big out, big ups to him. Um, Mike, what about, you know, sometimes you look at players and they have a gaffe, right? Um, but in some cases, you it's not really a gaffe. It's Repetition—it's what they're used to doing. A case in point with Todd Gurley, trying to run but trying to stop at the same time. I really feel bad for the guy because, you know, TD did Terrell Davis did it in the and the the Super Bowl. Nobody talked about it. He talked about it after the game, you know, where they, you know, where where Green Bay let him run in. But the the thing is, is that, you know, these are running backs like, and they're they're creatures of their own. You know habit so he was running He said oh and he stopped he couldn't Do it so is he getting uh, Too much blame especially Especially when That sorry defense Right uh, Gave Detroit the ball With a minute and a six Detroit had Zero timeouts And the percentages of that With no, no timeouts typically Most teams are going to win So nobody's t- t- putting a lot of blame On their defense they're putting all of it on Gurley. It says.
8: Oh yeah, they're putting a lot of a lot of it on Gurley. And true enough, Matt Ryan. There's film, there's video out there that showed Matt Ryan actually telling him to get down. But you know, of course, it didn't happen because his momentum was gone. But the thing is, you know, even but even if he scored, the blame's not on him. The blame should be on that defense because you have right. one job that you get paid for, and that is to stop the opposing team. You can't blame a a running back because you lost unless the running back is running against you and put up numbers. The defense, you're supposed to be out there and stop. That's, that's how it goes.
4: Yep. And, and, you know, uh, like you said, you get paid to do that on that side of the ball and they didn't do it and let them march down. Matthew Stafford, who's to me, a six pick waiting to happen anyway, all the way down the field, like he's, you know some, you know uh, Tom Brady going down the field and just you know they're going to score, and and they didn't get a lot of, of of blame on that. When you look at some of the teams out there now, that may be buyers and sellers. Of course, trade deadline we've already seen Dallas get rid of Poe and a couple other players uh, moving on, and Dunlap we talked about going from Cincinnati to Seattle. Who should be selling and who should be buying? A few, a few teams that you think.
8: Uh, whoever should be selling. Let's see. Well, you know the Dallas Cowboys—they need to sell everybody. You know, sell <laughs> as many people as they possibly can.
5: <laughs>
8: uh, to be honest, because it, it just—it's not going to work. And just whatever they got going is not working. So, any of the sellers. But many you know, the sad thing possible.
4: about that, Mike. The sad <laughs> thing about that is they sell. They could sell a bunch of people and still have a chance to win the division. That's how bad Yeah, no, it,
8: it's, it's bad. It's funny. It's funny to me. But um, I would say the Philadelphia Eagles, another team, that needs to be looking to sell. Even though they they could potentially win, I still don't buy them. <laughs> no. But they need to be selling. Um, let's see. Who else can I think of? What about
4: Houston? What about Houston? Yeah.
8: Who, who are exactly. they selling? Who are they selling? Who yeah,
4: they <laughs> I know.
8: I mean, you got basically three slot guys and Fuller, Cobb, and uh, Cooks. And I'm not taking Cooks because Cooks is one, one, one concussion away from being retired. Right. And, and Cobb is two or three steps slow. Fuller is, is a very exciting player, but he can't stay healthy uh, consistently. So, right. no, nah, I, I wouldn't take anybody on that team. Mm. Uh, you know, as far as uh, I would say another team. I'll give you. I'd say Minnesota. Minnesota needs to keep on selling. Whoever they got, sell them. Sell him. Yep. Sell sell uh, sell the sell the safety. Sell them.
4: Including the coach, yeah. sell him or let him go because he that's been a yes. disaster. Um,
8: oh, he's bad. He's bad.
4: Bad. Uh, and and, and they're
8: still,
4: aren't they stuck? You know the contracts better than me with uh. Their quarterback situation. I mean, he is just peanut butter sandwich, man. <laughs> they I, I mean, for really. Couple
8: more years, so I hope they have.
4: Him. Yeah. Wow.
8: Mm-hmm. Yep, they stuck with him for a couple more years. They can have a great time with all of that.
4: <laughs> what about some of the the, the buyers? Um, Seattle, obviously, trying to bolster their pass rush, and Lord knows they need it. Uh, the Cardinals are, and that, that whole NFC West, as you. No, mm-hmm. it's really tough right now. San Francisco's trying to get a little healthier and, uh, and all of that, but what about some of the buyers? Would you look maybe the Bills with their struggles, the Dolphins <clears throat> bringing four, we could talk about. I mean, what about some of the buyers that you see? Uh, I
8: would say this. The, some of the buyers that need to happen would be the, uh, the 49ers, as you said. They need a pass rusher. They need one bad. So, B. Ford, you don't know when he's going to come back. So, I would be looking around for a pass rusher if I was the 49ers at a good price. Um, As far as the – another team I would be looking at, too,
0: um,
8: I would say, I mean, whoever whoever is good on the Jets, they need to be looking at them, too. I forgot to mention the Jets as sellers. They need to sell everything, and the coach, and the franchise, and it all. But, uh, you know, as far as as another buyer I would look at, um, I would say – if if they could if they could make it happen, I would say New England needs to be a buyer because they need weapons bad. If they want to bad. make more into the playoffs, they need to get a weapons for Cam. See who wants to give up a weapon? Jump on it. Jump, and don't just get on one of these little weapons, a little slight guy. Somebody, like, no, 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 no. You need to get him a nice shiny weapon.
4: Why if not send him, Amari why am I, why not send Amari Cooper somewhere like, like the Patriots? I mean, Dallas could get they got a bunch of wide receivers. Um, why not a guy like Cooper? I mean Gallup is good and you know, Lamb is good. I mean you you got some guys, why not send him somewhere?
8: Uh I would say the Samari Cooper's probably not going anywhere. Um he's he's probably not going anywhere. I don't see that happening. But I would say another guy that you look at you could look at a tight end out there potentially. I mean if I was the if I was the uh, the Patriots, I'd approach the I would approach the Vikings about Irv Smith Jr. and tight end. Um, mm. If I was the if I was the the Patriots, I would approach uh, who was that? I would approach the Tampa Bay Bucks to maybe see if they want to give us a good faith gift of Cameron Brait, because they're really not using them very much. I right. mean, there's plenty of tight ends out there that you could go grab and probably bring to that system and make it work. Because mm. you know they always had a tight end that could do some things, but. No, is
4: Zach pick. is Zach Ertz uh, damaged goods or can he? They the rumor about him moving on.
8: That would be uh, that would be a good pick though. Mhm. That would be a good pick. But he is damaged goods though with his ankle and whatever he's, else he's got going on.
4: I just don't think he wants to even be there anymore. Um, That's true. would it, be be part of it. Um, real quick, two quick quick questions for you: one baseball, one. Won uh, a basketball World Series uh, over, uh, you know, obviously uh, the Dodgers finally get over that hump first time since '88, you know, Oral Hershiser and those guys, and and now you have uh, Kershaw finally getting off the uh, the the snide there, um, but of course the, the side uh, conversation has been about you know one of their players and Justin Turner. Are testing positive and on the field, and it's it's almost like Mike. Baseball got through it. They had their issues in the beginning. They weren't in a bubble, and the way they start is the way they end with this whole COVID thing. It's like like they don't get it. Like why would the Dodgers not, um, uh, you know, uh, make sure that he's not on there? I understand all that, but you know the the health has to come. But first you could always celebrate later And then the second part of that Is with you know The controversy of Kevin Cash taking Snell out in the sixth inning And T and I were talking about we'll talk about it Later um about How you stop you know bump The analytics sometimes Bump the analytics and just Go with your gut do you think that Cash did the right thing Staying with what they normally do Or um he should have went with
8: his gut and kept Snell in. He should have kept Snell in. I, I was watching that, and I'm, like, sitting there trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, who do you got in the bullpen that's going to do what he did? Like, Keith split said in the most famous words, nobody. <laughs>
5: so, <laughs> mean, that was just crazy.
8: I didn't understand what he was doing. So, that, that was just foolishness to me. As far as Justin Turner, I see some folks talking about, oh, he's already around his team. You know, most of the game anyway, and why not let them celebrate, things like that. But I think most of the people that are saying that are actually Dodgers fans. Uh, mm. If you weren't a Dodgers fan, a lot of them were like, okay, you know, aren't you supposed to, when you find out, kind of follow the rules instead of, oh, so he might be his only chance to win a World Series. I get that. But, um, you know, you're sitting next to a cancer survivor and your manager, you know, you might want to think about that one per se. Your owner is, has HIV. You know, right. I want to think about that one. You know, just right. to me, I'm like, okay, um, you know, it sounds all fine and dandy to do all this, that, and the other, but when it affects you, or when other people are affected, and you know, it could be other people affected, or you know, or seriously, seriously hurt, or there, you know, a long-term health issues as well. You know, it's not a funny right. thing. And the thing right. I, I think a lot of people will take it too lightly and, oh he was just out there doing this, he was just doing that. I'm like, look, you're trying to make excuses for doing something you want to do instead of making the right choice and the hard decision to stay away and you know, because you care about the people you're around.
4: Well, and of course those people really don't wear masks anyway, so that, that that's part of the, the issue there. Uh final question for you. Um, You know, it's been a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, congratulations to the L.A. Lakers. I, and I see you, Mr. Grant. The L.A. Lakers are winning uh, the championship. The other team in L.A. did not win. In fact, they didn't even meet the standard of getting to the Western Conference, to this L.A. versus L.A. thing. Rumor about Chris Paul coming back there, Kawhi going to Miami. What do you think is going to happen with this team? They already got a coach that was a assistant, so they know him. He talked about they they just didn't have continuity, and that, that you know it's part of that probably. But what do you see with this Clipper team in terms of uh, what a what will happen and b what will they do to, to be the odds maker to surpass the, the the world champion Lakers to win the championship next year?
8: Uh, honestly, they need to play more together, which that's a big thing. Secondly, um, with that team, looking at them, they need a big man inside, uh, uh, a backup big man inside. I love Montrezl Harrell. He brings you great things on offense, but on defense, he got owned by uh, by Jokic uh, in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the Nuggets series. Uh, he's flying the power forward. I know he probably doesn't want to play it, but, hey, you got to do what you got to do if you want to win a title. And, you know, he may not be back anyway because he's a free agent as well. But, you know, as far as needing – they need someone to actually create plays for for on their team because as much as Kawhi has gotten better over the years and been able to make plays for teammates and stuff like that, that's just not his most comfortable part of his game. If you notice, he's trying to – they're making him be the main playmaker on the team, and he's just not that guy. He's not that guy consistently, I should say. I mean, as evidence, he had his first triple-double last year. He's been in the league for a while. So – you know, to me, I think they're going to actually make a run at uh, Rondo, to be honest. Uh, and that would actually bring a guy that actually is used to running a team, can put people in positions, and, and take some of the load off of Kawhi of actually trying to run an offense through him. I, I think that would be a key addition. Uh, just any point guard that's a playmaker, no, not Jeff Teague. Please do not bring him to the Clippers. That would be horrible. But, right. But, um, You know, they to see a point. Chris Paul would be a good addition, but I just think I I don't think uh, that happens. I think bridges have been burned there, and it's over.
4: Yeah, Doc, but Doc Rivers is not there anymore. But you know, it it is what it is. But I do agree with you, Uh, Rondo. Especially in the playoffs, he just elevates his game uh, in terms of uh, distributing the ball and making smart decisions. So I agree with you on that. It'll be interesting, though. uh, Already talking about who can. The throw LeBron, who doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon, and uh, the the L.A. Lakers. Uh, Mike, as always, my friend, before you go, let people know how they can reach out to you, man, and follow you, sir. You can find me on uh, Twitter at MikePatton82.
8: find me, let's see, at ThreePointConversion.com. You can find me uh, see, at find me in the National Voice, working on a couple articles. actually was in a commercial for an article I'm getting ready to write on about uh, it's going to be very special to men for No Shade November. So, uh, and you know, a few other sports articles I'm working on as well as you can find me on hops TV, which is H a a P S dot TV, uh, doing Titans talk and uh, Titans post game on there.
4: Boy, you are the man with 27 jobs and, and, and I'm not <laughs> mad at you. Not mad at you. Enjoy your evening. Take care of your babies. We'll talk with you next week, man. Be safe. All right. Take care. Always good to have Mike Patton on, of course, as he mentioned, from the Village uh, for the National Voice, the three-point conversion, uh, sportsawakening.com, and other uh, news outlets on the Bassin News Radio Show and the Bassin News Radio Network.
7: God gave me a gift to go out here and to run with the football, and that's what I did.
3: Gail Sayers, without a doubt, the finest halfback uh, that ever played together with George McAfee and Red Grange.
7: Give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need.
6: This is Gail Sayers. You can see the balance in the move here as Sayers
2: dives into the end zone for a touchdown. That's Gale
6: Sayers on the 15-yard line. You can see him breaking away from that tackle.
4: Watch the moves here. The quick move of Gale Sayers. He's
2: off 85 yards for a touchdown, looking over his shoulder. His sixth touchdown of the game, he has just broken the National Football League touchdown record for one year
6: that move of his, and he has gone. You never got a good shot at him. Fry said, oh, i will be a cakewalk against anybody else. And, you know, something It turned out to be the truth.
4: As Bear fans everywhere know, when we watched Gale Sayers run, we were watching a master magician at work. Gale, thank you for seven glorious seasons and fabulous memories. Tonight, on behalf of Bear fans everywhere, it is
8: my privilege to retire Bear jersey number 40 forever. It was a great honor to play in the National Football League. But I consider myself very, very lucky to play here in Chicago for you, the great Chicago Bear football fans.
7: hopefully people who admired me, that they would see I played as hard as I could.
4: Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us. Just heard an excerpt on um, the celebration of the, the life and, uh, of course, passing of the great Hall of Famer, uh, Gail Sears. I want to bring in my uh, guest who uh, was was friends with uh, Mr. Sears. He is the chairman of the board at Retired NFL Players' Congress. He is Bob Grant. And, Mr. Grant, it's been an honor and pleasure to know you and talk with you. It's been a while. I hope all is well with you and you're safe, you and your family, sir.
7: Well, you are we're doing well, and it's you're great to be back on with you guys. I was starting to think that you guys had run off and gone to Brazil or something.
4: I hadn't heard <laughs> from you
7: in so long.
4: Oh, my God. Uh, we do apologize for that, sir, but you are definitely in the fold uh, uh, moving forward. Um, now Before we get to, to your organization, the, you you knew Gail. Um, it, it, I mean... A lot of people compare him to TD and ter- Terrell Davis from Denver in, in terms of the the longevity or lack thereof, if you will, but the impact on the game. The man scored six freaking touchdowns in a game. <laughs> Who does that? But so, so so talk about him at, off the field and on the field and how great he was in the respect that, to me, I, I just think he gets lost in Hall of Fame running backs, and, of course, he did special teams and, and, and run a and kick, uh, you know, uh, punt returns and kick returns as well.
7: Um, Gil was a real gentleman, and he was obviously one heck of a ball player. And um, I always hesitate to say that anyone was, you know, the greatest at you know, any position Right, uh, be, because when you start trying to compare people, different guys do different things well, and uh, but they he is definitely, you would have to say that he's in the top six, right, uh, or top seven of the uh, running backs who ever played the game. I uh, Gale was elusive, and we're talking about the football side of it now. He, he was elusive. He was a very intelligent decision, and uh, he, he he was born with something that m- most human beings don't have, and, uh, well, I've never seen another human being that was born with something that he has, and that was he had eyes in the back of his head.
5: Hmm. Also,
7: I mean, he, he could see what was happening in front of him, but he always knew what was going on behind him, too. And the way that I always used to look at, uh, you know, Gail, we all became friends, you know, through my college teammate Brian Piccolo, who was there uh, at the same time uh, that Gail was there. So that's how I really became friendly with him through Pick before Piccolo died. you know, there, uh, and
4: you know, the, uh, Mr. Grant, uh, that story is just uh, legendary uh, in their relationship and 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 with uh, Mr. Piccolo. Um, but it, And you hear from Barry Sanders, you hear from Terrell Davis, you hear from all these people, including yourself, the compassion of the man, the caring of the man of Gale Sears, the fact that he cared about you um, and kept up with you. It seems to be one of the things that it gets lost, the compassion of the NFL player, how great he was, how elusive he was, you said, with the eyes in the back of his head. Yet he was like, hey, how how are you doing? How's your family? How's your wife? How's your kids? So all of those things.
7: He was a real gentleman. And, uh, you know, most of uh, most of our guys,
4: you know, were.
7: Uh, I, I you know, won't say one thing one way or the other about the players today. They are probably a mixture of personalities just as we were. Uh, but uh, back during the time that we played, uh, I don't think that the superstars – had the level level of arrogance that some do today. Mm. This phrase has been used today by, oh, he's the greatest of all time, and you know he's the goat in all different sports and everything. Anytime anybody starts to uh, you know talk about you know that, uh, I don't think that they're really an informed fan there because as I said. Uh, a few sentences back, there are different players who did things like you're different differently. Gail Sayers was one of those guys. I will tell you this, who, if you're on defense, he could make you lose your job oh, on, yeah. on any Sunday. <laughs> and uh, he did it with such ease and with such grace and, uh, one of the things that he had that you, you you just never you were never able to adjust to, uh, and that is he was moving faster than you gauged him to be moving at when you were on the field with him. You would, uh, if you were going to meet him, and you were going you had a cutoff point, and you say, okay, if I get here, he's going to be at this point. When I get there. Well when you got there, he would be a step or two past that point then and you couldn't really figure out you couldn't really figure out how it happened. But you know, that is uh you know, he was a great like you know, player and uh yeah, you know, I mean, we can throw him in that basket with Jim Brown and the phenomenal Barry Sanders and yes, Hugh right. McElhenney and Jim Thorpe, uh, they're just, they just some amazing, amazing player Tony said, there's some amazing Bo Jackson. There's some amazing players who have played in this game. And uh, I would never try to compare one of them to you know, the other because they were all great in different ways. And so, all of them were threats in different ways
4: we're talking with Bob Grant of course he's a um second round pick of course out of Wake Forest here in North Carolina where I am and you know uh um uh, in uh, 68 he uh, played on the Colts the Washington Football Club he won the Super Bowl champion it, what was it like trying to go after guys like uh, uh uh those type of players uh that are elusive and and more importantly I think the question you brought up um that there you, you. I think you're being very humble, Mr. Grant, about, um, you know, the arrogance and the the difference and guys have played. Um, but what about that? And the, the the third part of this, if you will, um, you know, I got into I get into uh, conversations, and I know T Mac Tony's on the line. I, I get into conversations with people on a personal and on the air level where. They go, this guy is the greatest of. How can? Why is it not cool to just say they're the greatest of their era? I mean, Chamberlain, first 25 years. You know, Jabbar, first, you know, next 15 years. Jordan, next 20. And then you got LeBron. Why can't they just be generational or, you know, in terms of decades, rather than they have to be the greatest this quarterback, running back, linebacker of all time?
7: I'll give you like you know, something which makes me laugh, you know, since I love music. You all different kinds that you music. You know, we could say to someone, who was the best vocalist of all time? Would it have been Marvin Gaye would it have been Ray Charles? Would it have been Luther Vandross Would it uh would it be John Legend? or uh, would it be Billy Eckstein You can't compare it. You know, if you appreciate music and everything, you know, each one of those guys were, they were the greatest in a very unique way that no one else could match up with. And with the ball players, you know, it is absolutely the, the the same there. You can no more compare, uh, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, Gail, if you're looking at Jim Brown and Gail Sears, you could no more compare them then you could uh, Ray Charles and Billy Eckstein or Billy Eckstein and Luther, Luther Vandross. Yeah. It, it's, I'm out of the conversation when people start doing that, let's just start talk about one man and his career and the things that he did that were unbelievable.
4: Yeah. And it, we have so many passing the Fred Deans and, and others. Um, before I go uh, to, to Tony, Um, Talk about what you've done and and others of your era even before that paved the way for these guys black or white or whatever to be in the positions that they are to have the collecting bargaining agreement to be able to have these situations where they're making millions and millions and and I'm not saying it from you guys being envious. I'm saying it from the, 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 the way is someone had to be a martyr. Someone had to put themselves in a position for the, the better good uh, of the game. But more importantly, as we're African-Americans on this broadcast, for the better of black people to move forward in this game.
7: The, uh, I'll give you just a very brief Bit of, by, uh, uh, of my resume, and and then I'll tell you what you're like, you're saying. Uh, prior to 1963, 1964, there were no integrated uh, colleges in the South as far as sport was concerned. Mm. There were no white players at the historical black colleges, and there were no black players at any of the so-called major universities, we used to call them the white universities, Alabama, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, there were no blacks playing like you're there. The first four men, and the point of the spear for that, uh, to integrate college sport in the South, you know, was uh, Daryl Hill up in Maryland, myself, Kenneth Henry, and William Smith at Wake Forest. We were the very first four. We didn't play against other black players, and there were no black people in the stands when we went out to play. So we opened the door for all those black kids that you see playing for Alabama, playing for Clemson, playing for Florida, playing for Georgia, playing for uh, Virginia Tech. You know, we opened the door for them, like, so we were the point of the spear there. The very first player out of any of the major universities, well, uh, man of color, out of any of the uh, major universities in the South to play in the NFL was Bob Grant. I was the very first one in mm. nineteen sixty-eight. So you know, you know, people open like your doors. Whether do people remember you know, them or what they did or not, or what they were faced with or like, uh, not. But with the young men, you know, today, I think that a lot of them have, you know, forgotten about how the opportunity that they have, to have the lives and the livelihood that they have, to make the money that they have, and to enjoy the stardom that they have. Uh, asking of them, who was who Kenny Washington? A lot of them, hmm. I've asked a few, who is Jackie Robinson? They don't even really know. All they know, well, he, he was a black ball, ball player with the New York Yankees, wasn't he? Uh, I asked him, who was the first you know black player out of the South and at the uh, uh, major universities in the South to play in the NFL? They have, they have no idea. I say, okay, well, you're talking with him. Uh, but I understand how the young men today have forgotten about us. And I'm not angry with them because I know who they are. Because right. they are our they are our grandkids. Well, they're too old to be our kids now, but some of them who played were our kids. But they're our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, our nephews. And we spoiled them. We did not want them to go through some of the things that you know, that your grandfather had to go through, or that your father had to go. We didn't want them to go through it. Th- those kind of like your things. So we fought to create a world for like your them, whereas they could prosper. Uh, but they ended up being like your very selfish, and a lot of like your wills. They ended up forgetting about their grandparents. They say, no, we haven't, you know, but no, really, you know, they really, really have. And uh, celebrity can do strange things to echo like, people. Money can do strange things to people sometimes like you too. I'm not sure. angry with any of them because they are reaping the benefits of what we were fighting for. So I'm happy for each and every one of them who's doing that. And there are a lot of good guys there. Who are doing great things like you're now. But I'm going to say this, and you guys know me from the past, I never bite my tongue for anybody like you're there. It seems to me that a lot of them, and they can say that, oh, you shouldn't say that like you whatever. They are active in the black community, and they do like your things or, or whatever, but a lot of them have like you're really forgotten the, right. With as many opportunities as we have in this country, you know, new opportunities that they have, at the 4th of July barbecue, you know, down on the lake when there are none of us like you're there, and I, I don't use the other words, so I'm going to use the old word for my day, they are still Negroes. Right. We are still a minority in this country. And they can believe even? anything they want. They can believe anything that they, like you know, want. Uh, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things of like you much, much like you're better. But they're not white. And there are a lot of them who believe that they're almost white.
4: Right. And it, and it's you're 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 right, Mr. Grant. I mean, you could use another term. Um, and people lose their way, whether they uh, whether they do it deliberately or they're uh, misguided or, or it's, it's subliminal. Um, and so athletes are not not immune to that. We're talking with Bob Grannies, the chairman of the board at the Retired NFL Players' Congress here on the Bastion News radio show, 646-929-0130. The number to get in touch with us, he's a uh, former NFL player, Uh, played on a super bowl champion talk about that uh with with him as well uh i want to remind folks that uh, you'll lose the live feed at the top of the hour so wherever you are at the top of the hour you need to call in right now if you want to continue to listen live and watch live Uh, of course you can but to listen live it's a 646-929-0130 646-929-0130 so you can listen to uh uh, Bob Grant and what he has to say. I want to bring in my good friend, uh, uh Mr. Grant and uh, uh co host and colleague Tony T Mac McClain. How you doing, Mr.
6: Grant? It's been a while.
4: What's up T, how you doing, man?
6: I'm good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Um I mean we I could we could go so many directions uh here. What did you know what do you, you know, what did you what do you what's your feeling on the NFL basically just you know, by by hook or by crook making sure that they come back during this during this whole COVID thing?
7: Well, the first thing that everyone has to realize is the NFL is a business. Absolutely. i at the with us at the Retired NFL Players Congress. We are a business also, and if you don't mind myself giving us a real uh, a quick plug, we don't. manufacture all of the sports jackets for all of the leagues, NFL, NBA, that are manufactured, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, in the United States, and we import also. But we're the largest manufacturer outside of China uh, here in Los Angeles with our uh, facility being over a quarter of a million square feet. We're owned and operated by retired players themselves. We are a for profit corporation. I hope that everyone will go to our site, pick up one of our t shirts or jackets at playerscongress.com. dot com. That would be our website. playerscongress.com. dot com. Please go there and pick up one of our t shirts that shows you what the game was like back during the day that back during the day that we played. There
6: you go.
7: Um uh, but now again to answer your question, T, the the NFL is a business and people can want it to be whatever they want it to be. Each one of those owners is in business to make money. And they're gonna do whatever they have to do, they're gonna say whatever they have to say, mm-hmm. they're gonna make whatever concessions that they have to make to remain profitable during the pandemic here and after the pandemic. And if they don't do that, if they don't remain profitable and conduct themselves that way, they will be out of business. And if they are out of business, then that means that for each one of them that leaves, about 60 players will be out of a job. Mm -hmm. And coaches, about 20 coaches will be out of a job. Front office staff, 30 or 40 people will be out of uh, out of a job. So they are what they are. And, you know, thank goodness they are. Let's hope that they stay in business. Let's hope that they prosper so that our guys and the referees and the people who drive the beer trucks and uh, who sell cars that advertise with us so that everybody can prosper, Along with them.
6: hmm And 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 with that being with that being said, you know, when you look at the the, the risk, and, I, and and we all know that there's a risk factor when you play in the NFL, and even more so this year, you know, with the pandemic and and and, and everything else. How do you think uh, the guys of your era would have handled something like this?
7: Uh yeah, you know, a lot of us played because we love the game and we liked like you're playing but money even during our day we didn't make a lot. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot to us. Man, you can make fifteen thousand dollars or twenty or thirty thousand dollars. That was like you unbelievable uh for you know, working on a job for half a year there. The with the guys studio today Let's look at this thing realistically, fellows. With our young men who are playing today, and the median salary in the NFL is a bit over $900,000 per man. So the average, per, the average player makes well over a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say that if you run into an NFL like your player, uh, any NFL player, he's probably making somewhere north of, two to three million dollars there. And that's if you don't run into the any of the ten and twenty and thirty million dollars like you guys, for that much money, guys are gonna take the risk. They're gonna be willing to take the risk, whatever the risks are. Uh, somebody might say, I I wouldn't do it, and maybe a lot of people, I'll tell you right now, let me see I think now, Tony, that I'm about three years older than you.
6: hmm So
7: that, that makes us what, you know, forty seven?
6: Oh you're oh I would love I would that that I, that's a good number. I wouldn't love I would love to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well well
7: well let's just say that this I'll tell you what, you know, even at my age like you now which truly is seventy five years old. Mhm. I would probably be on my way to the hospital or the funeral home after about one or two plays on the field. Mm. But if they offered me $20 million to go out there and play for one quarter in a game, or they said, yeah, Bob, all you got to do is just go out there and uh, play eight plays out of each like your game. For for twenty thirty million dollars, I'd be right out there. I could live with the consequences.
6: Well, yep. If, it, I... if if it
7: doesn't work out for me, uh, I'd leave my family in very good shape. I would leave <laughs> some other ball players in very good shape, and I would leave the community and the charities that I believe in. I would leave all of them in the bad shape. So it's, it's a risk reward. Uh, It's a risk-reward thing there, but the money is just so great. Where else? Where else is the average ball player, let's say that in the uh, NFL now, say uh, 75% or more of the ball players in the NFL now are black. Mm
5: -hmm. If you
7: take the game away from like you're them, how many companies are going to be offering any of those guys, if any, are gonna be offering them two three million dollars a year to come to work there. Absolutely. You know out of the three thousand or so that are like you're playing, I'll bet you that there's there's there are fewer than there are fewer than ten that could get that
4: kind of job offer. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. You know Mr. Grant, I, I have to ask you, too, the, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about off air and, and T and I, we've been talking about this, is the, the concern of the retired players such as yourself in terms of uh, health insurance, in terms of some of the things that have developed for players that, like yourself, have paved the way, right? You understand the risk, like T said, but but you did pave the way. At the, you know some of the players are getting a handicap some some players are getting dementia and everything with concussions and all this all the concuss that went over all those times and those days and years and decades and that that never got diagnosed uh in in your era and even a little bit after that um what do you say to those players that are still fighting uh for the insurance for the 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 revenue the monies that will come in from the NFL because they did play and put it on the line like yourself and and have all these injuries you know Earl Campbell you know uh, Jerome Bettis could barely walk downstairs and walk without injuries and those are modern day guys in terms of uh, you know the the seventies eighties ninety two thousands so. So what do you say to those players that are like, you know, bleep the NFL, we need our money, we paved this way, and we want to be compensated because we are going through these issues?
7: We, uh, there have been some improvements. And I think that we've seen uh, improvements in all those areas that are going about as far as they're going to go. The owner's and you guys know about the fights and battles that myself and Bernie Parrish and others had with the you know, the owners you know, yeah. in years you know, in years past. Like you know, we were not friendly in any sort of way. And once again, we never bit our tongue. I will have to say that the owners you know, have really stepped up. Maybe they could have done like you know more. They probably could do like you know more with some graduated sort of like your thing. But, you know, they did come around quite a bit. But as retired players, we are most disappointed in the union and the young active players, you know, because I don't feel with most, well, many, I shouldn't say most, many of the retired players that I've talked about, the. You know, with the young players, the contemporary players, the modern-day, like, you know, players, they are just so concerned. And I kind of understand this because we raised them as selfish as they are. Uh, you know, we created them. So we have to blame ourselves to some degree. You are there. With the money, they what are he, really looking out for themselves And they're looking out for their families like you in the future And uh, That's just the way that it is They have not done all that they could do Or that they should do But Things have improved They did step up some too But
4: They could do a lot more than
7: they are doing
4: yeah, I think they I, I think they can. So I, I agree with you. But what do you make of a uh, uh, Drew Brees who said basically, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, so I'm gonna be fair to him because I'm not gonna quote him verbatim, but basically saying that you know uh, previous players from different times and eras just didn't manage their money right. If you manage your money right, then you won't have all these issues. You won't be having your hand out looking for. Of uh, the the league to take care of you, I take care of my kids, and of course this is the same Drew Brees as you both know that said, you know my father served in the, my grandfather served in the military, and it's about the flag and this and that. And that. But you know, having said that, what do you say to a uh, Drew Brees or somebody alike, Mr. Grant, when they say, well, if you guys manage your money better, you wouldn't be in this predicament.
7: Well, I'm I'm, I'm not a Drew Brees, like you know, fan. And he's a decent quarterback. He wouldn't have lasted very long playing during our day when we could really hit people. You there, but but in but for today's time and under the rules that they're playing and they're throwing the ball on every down and the offensive lineman just raise up and grab their opponent in a bear hug. He's a pretty decent uh, you know player there today. The statement that Drew made there. Doesn't make sense He just wasn't thinking He couldn't have been when he said that Because that's almost as idiotic As my saying That my grandfather who raised me Who was born in 1894 That my grandfather With what he was like you know, working Making you know, working for 10 cents a day At times or whatever That if he had really taken care of his money That he would have the same opportunities in life that I have or that LeBron has. That doesn't make sense. We want not make him the kind of money <laughs> that these guys are making You're here today. you know. During our time, everybody, everybody except Joe Namath and a couple of others, but even they work, everybody has to get an off-season job. Some of us had night jobs selling insurance and stuff like that. It was completely and totally different. And uh, we haven't begged them for anything. We've just asked them to look at how the game that pays them so well came about and who went on strikes, you know, for that. And players, you know, such as myself and some others, who got blackballed so that they could have the opportunities that they have, you know, today. So, you know, Drew, I don't know, whether he, someone told me that he tried to apologize for what he was saying, like, you know, there. Drew should have just kept his mouth closed. He didn't need to say that. He came out and said something recently about, you know, the stuff that's going on uh, socially and politically here. You know, now, he's the quarterback of the uh, New Orleans, like, you Saints. And uh, the New Orleans Saints have uh, fans that are black, white. Democratic, independent, libertarians, Republicans, he doesn't have to stir the pot and get involved in that stuff there. He's supposed to represent everyone there. But so many of our active players like you're today, if you're going to do something, do it. And don't look for a lot of credit for it. Just do it behind closed doors. Just do it like you're quietly You know, know, with LeBron James, I disagree with LeBron's politics, but, man, LeBron has done so much stuff for black people and other people in the Akron area, Ohio area. He has done so much with the schools that he's got and getting kids into colleges and stuff there. He has done so much very quietly that people don't even know about. So that's the way that I think that our athletes should handle Yo, themselves, yo today, represent everybody that is a fan of yours. Yeah, but relative and, yo, re- relative to Drew, you're not gonna find you're not gonna find very many retired players who uh, care very much for your Drew.
4: Yeah, and uh, I mean his he's taken that that line in the sand mr grant and that that's he, he's gonna have to live with whatever whatever that is um real quick before we get back to your um organization um what about the two teams on the field if you follow them closely or or one of them and in, the, the, in terms of the ones that you play for and, uh, those then Baltimore Colts, of course, Baltimore Ravens. Now the the Indianapolis Colts, and then the Washington Football Club. Um, socially and on the field, what do they what do they need?
7: Uh, you know today. Yes. Are you are you yes. about today? Yes, today. Do you mean as far as winning and losing, or as far as social interaction? Yeah,
4: well, Washington might be socially and winning and losing, so you can address that. But in terms of on and off um, the the field with with the the Colts slash Ravens, what do you think about them on the field? What they they need, what they what do you see? And then with Washington, Mr. Snyder, who was forced into um, you know, changing his name based on uh, the the fact that Native Americans, hello, found it disrespectful for so long, and then, you know, it it took, you know, FedEx Field or whatever, and you know, and those to put pressure on him for him to even get to the point where we can call them the Washington Football Club, something that Tony and I have been calling them for for quite some time anyway.
7: The, uh, you know, relative to, like you'll say, all the teams, I, 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 fellas, I'm of this mind. Those guys on those teams put up a lot of money to buy the teams. And just, just as it happened in Washington there. Now I know some Native Americans who were pretty proud of the Washington Redskins. I have some that are relatives, who were, were pretty proud of it. And then I know some others who hated it, and they thought that it was very you know, disres- disrespectful. In the end, to hold on to that dollar and continue getting that dollar, that social pressure has created the change that like you're brought about. So, so we will move on from, you know, from there, and they will end up being whatever they, it is that they are. But what's important that they maintain those jobs for all the people, from the guy that's selling hot dogs and beer in the stand to the players on the field, that they maintain that club and maintain that that business. Otherwise, the people in there, whatever they change their name, you know, too, uh, you know, it, you know, it, it, it's fine with me. Uh, I'm sure that he's going to do something that is not offensive to anyone if they can come up with that in two thousand twenty two, if they can if they can do that. So um, you know the you know the name you know never really you know bothered you know me but I understand uh watching the old cowboy and Indian movies when I was gonna that red skin uh you know kill them. I, I understand how some people were offended. That is being corrected uh there now. Um, those people are businessmen. They're going to make whatever adjustments they have to make to continue getting that dollar. Now, on the field, um, you guys were talking about the Clippers earlier. Uh, Just because you have the best players does not mean that you're going to win the championship. I don't think that in the early years, I don't think the Green Bay Packers ever had the best team, but they won all those first Super Bowls those ones that like, you in front those ones you in front of us. The Cowboys should have won like your more Super Bowls than they did. There, there were other teams. Uh, you you can't look at say just talent. Who's got the best quarterback? Who's got the best running back? And figure out who's going to win. The man that is most responsible for putting together a winning team. Is the general manager. A general manager is like a chef. You have to put together a team, let's call it a soup, and put just the right spices in there and so that it will taste great. You know, down in New Orleans, you know, we have gumbo, which I love to cook and stuff, and oh God, we put all different kinds of things like here and there, and you tell. Some people are like, "Oh my God, a uh, soup with all that stuff!" And like, "Yeah," but when you get all of it in there and just with just the right, like you'll mix, you have a winning dish. Now, right now, if we uh, look with with Kansas City, I don't think the Kansas City is necessarily the most talented team. Team they've got a lot of speed, they've got some good players. <laughs> uh, They've got like a terrific, like a young quarterback. The Ravens are in the same position, but their mix is different. Uh, unfortunately, they're both in the same. Uh, they're both in the, in the AFC. Otherwise, I believe that it would be the two of them that would end would have ended up in the Super Bowl last year. We'll see this year. Pittsburgh always has the Steelers always have. Just the right mix, and if you look at them at the beginning of the season, you say, "Well, okay, they're okay, but they're not going to be that good." Well, they're undefeated right now, and if you look at like, the team, the quarterback is too old; he's slow, he can't like he can't run, etc. And they've got some, you are know, pretty good running backs. They've got some, you know, one or two like your good receivers, but. I wouldn't say they're the most talented team they can in the league, but they're definitely in the hunt. And this game between uh, them and the Ravens this weekend is going to be a barn burner, I I think, because we're going to be seeing two of the best five teams in the NFL go at it. So with any of the teams, always look to the general manager. And when those general managers, they can move around and they come and they Come, like you'll in. Some of them just, some of them are master chefs. It may take them one, two, three years or whatever, but they get it put together. Uh, you'll know, eventually. And uh, you know, with teams that are struggling a bit, like you are now, like you know the Cowboys, et cetera. You know, they they're just having a bad luck streak. you know, right now. Okay. Right. Yeah, you just wait. Jerry's going to straighten that out, and he's going to well, straighten I, that out at
4: the end of this as year co- too. As cowboy fans out there, I'm sure they wanted it to happen, but I wouldn't put my eggs in, in that basket, uh, Mister Graham. No, I'm just Foy saying go he's
7: going to straighten it out.
4: No, like I, I. The Raiders. I never...
7: you, yep. you look at the Raiders. The Raiders are there, they're kind of back. They're a threat. And uh, you know, look at Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay wasn't a threat to anybody 12 months, 24 months ago. They brought Brady in and Gronk and got the defensive guys excited, and receiver here and every thing. They're a contender now. But all of that goes back to the general manager, who's the chef in the kitchen. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. And, I heard a little beep. I thought I
4: lost you. No, I was going to ask you about your, um, uh, in closing, about your website and what people can uh, know about that, how they can reach out. and because it, your paraphernalia goes beyond the NFL, and people yes. don't know that. So, 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 talk, talk about that, uh, Mr. Grant, before you go.
7: I said, well, well, the Retired NFL Players Congress is owned and operated, uh, incorporated. We are a for profit corporation. We don't kiss anybody's behind, but we will do business with anybody if there is a win win situation, a win for both sides, which is how we have ended up in a situation. Whereas, you know, we do all the jackets manufactured in this country for Major League Baseball, for the NBA, for the NFL, for Major League Hockey. And we import uh, also, along with the other big company, G3, that's Carl Banks and them, and they do a great job, but they just import. The retired NFL players, like your Congress with the money that we generate, we are a for-profit company, but by choice, with the money that we generate, we use that money to help uh, retired players, who are in need from time to time, uh, the widows, the families of retired players, and the communities that we live in. From working with uh, military, helping military vets, to working with kids in the inner city uh, uh, schools, to offering scholarships to kids that are on their way to co- uh, that are on their way to college, uh, to early flight training at uh, Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum for junior high school and high school kids here in Los Angeles so that they can get their pilot's license as soon as they're out of high school there. But we're very active in the communities here there too. So we're just trying to be good citizens, and we're trying to be good Americans, and we're trying to do whatever good that we can to help out wherever we can, and uh you can support us by going to our website. You'll love our gear. You're really If you're a real football fan, you're going to love our When Football Was Football t-shirts. And you can read about us and see the products that we offer at very affordable prices at playerscongress.com, P l a y e r s C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S Dot com
4: I don't I'm not Sure Um, Hold on one second Sir I just want to Make sure we had a technical issue here Uh, Give that information again To make sure that my audience Had all that information sir
7: Okay, we are the Retired uh, NFL Players Congress. You are a corporation, a for-profit corporation that is owned and operated completely by retired players. Uh, We are the largest manufacturer of jackets for the NFL, uh, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and hockey outside of China with our manufacturing facility, which is a quarter of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 200. And twenty five thousand square feet. You can see that on our website, which is playerscongress.com. With the money that we generate, we use that money to help retired players, the widows, their families. We have some scholarships for our kids. We also work you know intensely in the communities that we live in across your know, the country. Try to contribute to worthy causes and to be helpful there, whether they're children or veterans uh, 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 groups you know, or elderly or with food drives. We are just trying to – we're very lucky to have had the lives that we had and they have had the opportunity to play professional football. We have a lot of guys who are in very, very like, bad shape, but we have a lot of other citizens in this country – who are in very bad shape, too. And they could, uh, many of the, those ordinary citizens could use a little assistance to help, too. So we're here. We're not trying to be the messiah or, or anything like your debt. But you know, in these twilight years of our lives as a business organization, we are trying to do what we can to make our communities and our country a better place. And everyone, please, you can be of help by going to our website, which is playerscongress.com. That's P-L-A-Y-E-R-S dot com. If you go, I know that you're going to buy a few of our When Football Was Football t-shirts with the scenes that we have on there. Because the scenes there are depictions of what the game was like back in the day when uh, referees weren't throwing flags on every single like he'll play and you could watch a football game and uh, there might be three or four penalties the entire game. They just let us settle things up among ourselves. So if you like the old rough game and you're a fan of that, please go to playerscongress.com. Pick up one of our jackets or pick, a, or pick up one of our reasonably priced T-shirts when football is football. That's Players Congress. Did I get it in that time, fellas? Hello?